because it's just going to force you know Cisco to to drive and push back and and deliver their own innovative technology as well, and, and ultimately it's going to be the end consumer who benefits. Hi, and welcome to uh, Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Anton Gonsalves. As the intro suggests, on today's show, we'll cover the new technologies introduced at the Cisco Live Conference in Las Vegas. I was there, along with analyst Paul Nashawati and uh, Bob Lalibert from Tech Target's Enterprise Strategy Group. Hi, Paul. Hi, Bob. Thanks for joining me. Anton, welcome to you. Yeah. Thanks, Anton. All right. So Cisco Live showed the company taking a platform approach to modernize its technology uh, for applications distributed across the cloud, edge, and data center environments. Uh, notable technologies presented at the show included a full-stack observability platform and a new approach to network management called Networking Cloud. Paul, we'll start with you. Uh, what's in full stack observability and what's the impact on uh, Cisco customers? Thanks, Anton. Yeah, you know, I'll have to say an exciting event. And like the theme of the event, Let's Go, was the theme, Let's Go Right Into This, because there's such there was a lot to talk about, um, you know, with full stack observability. I know we have a short period of time here. But full, Cisco's full stack observability platform and digital experience monitoring, they, their release of it uh, came out really uh, during this event to show how customers can build uh, applications across the ecosystems that's open, extensible. It really kind of drives on the architecture. But, you know, the, the thing about it, it's really interesting because when you start looking at uh, full stack observability and what that really means, uh, Cisco has added everything into it, uh, which allows for uh, a very robust solution. So what I mean by that is there's bi-directional integration between app, app dynamics and thousand I support for DEN. It also closes that observability gap with rapid actionable rec you know, recommend recommendations and insights. So when that is kind of applied to how organizations are moving forward and their cloud native approaches, it really does allow for those actionable insights across the ecosystem. Uh, furthermore, you know, you, when you see these cloud native uh, environments, um, it really does come down to maturity. This is where I think Cisco may have to struggle a little bit when it comes to full stack observability, because a lot of organizations have uh, are really not mature in their observability practices these days, right? And by doing so, they have to start somewhere. So they may be doing monitoring or alerting, but that all that all those insights that they're that, that are actionable and using AI to kind of drive this and looking in across the entire ecosystem, that might be too robust for a, a lot of organizations. So I think the crawl walk run approach that, that Cisco is looking to achieve with this is the right approach. Flip on the things that make sense, but meet the customer where they are. All right, and Bob, uh, networking cloud. What, why don't you give us a, a rundown of what that is and um, how it's going to uh, benefit customers, according to Cisco? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, like Paul said, there was a lot to unpack from the show. There were a lot of announcements. One of the bigger ones was that they released a networking cloud vision. Uh, as most organizations know, they unveiled a security cloud last year. So now they're moving on to the network side and taking a look at how they can effectively consolidate the number of platforms they have to their ultimate goal of getting it down to basically two platforms, which is one which would be a cloud-based and one that's on-premises. But the 
key underlying features of that is that they would also make it simpler to make that transition. So similar to what Paul was saying about meet the customers where they are, Cisco is very cognizant of their installed base and the fact that they need to bring them on and not everyone's going to jump to the cloud. So they've been doing a lot of things like doing single sign-on. So today with that cloud, they've been talking, right? That's one of their announcements that you'll be able to go in and regardless of the platform and the domain you're in, be able to get to it from a single web-based portal. So things like that will help. Some of the other announcements included things like the Meraki cloud base, which has been monitoring the catalyst switches, now has the ability to show the CLI show commands. So for those people who are tightly, uh, I guess, attached to CLI commands and those, right, the legacy CCIEs who've been made a, a huge living of, of Cisco using those Cisco products are now going to have that opportunity to be able to still see some of those commands, but also then, you know, transition to uh, cloud-based if they want to. So it, like I said, this is a, a big announcement. Obviously, Cisco's had a lot of different products that they've acquired. So that idea of they're going to simplify that process, provide a unified interface, right? I, I like to refer to that as the principle of least astonishment. So when you go from one domain to another, it still looks very familiar, very intuitive for you to be able to use it. Right? I think that's what Meraki has always you know, prided itself on, being somewhat of the, the Apple of the, the networking space. And so they're looking to capitalize on that and drive it forward. But like I said, overall, you're seeing a massive amount of consolidation that will take place or, or integration, if you will, to a common platform that will enable organizations to drive much greater operational efficiencies as those network environments get far more complicated. Yeah, Cisco talked an awful lot about simplicity. I mean, I, I can't, even, can't even count how many times I heard that word from his ex. But when you look at Cisco's, uh, Cisco's uh, technology overall is highly complex. I mean, they have multiple operating systems. They have uh, multiple network management platforms. Uh, a lot of products that overlap. All this has to be brought together. In the meantime, you have companies, for example, John Chambers, their former CEO. He launched a company last year, Nile, and he knows Cisco. And his company takes a, uh, is going after the wireless land by making it really simple. I mean, it's basically as a service, right? I mean, you buy the, they install the access points, the switches, and they take care of everything. You, you don't have, at that point, you just use it. Right? right. And they charge, they charge by the user, by how many people on the network. It's pretty simple. My question is, Cisco seems to be really good for large enterprises who, who do a lot of this stuff themselves. Right. They can deploy the technology to get the talent. But when you start going down to the healthcare industry for major universities, right, for that mid-size uh, enterprise, maybe a little larger. It seems like companies like Chambers, Nile, his company, have, have a better opportunity. So what's, uh, what's your take on all of that? Yeah, I think, well, I think there's a couple of things, right? I mean, it's, it's obviously easier when you're starting from scratch to come up with a, a solution that it's, you know, you're driving simplicity in from the get-go than an organization that's been delivering products for over 20 years. And you have to keep in mind, right, a lot of times Cisco products are the same products are installed for over 20 years. So what, and, and you talked about the complexity and that's exactly what they're trying to address with this, right? They're trying to take all those platforms and boil them down to just two, right? 
can be able to, you'll see that consolidation of the operating systems. Um, you'll see, I think a lot of those, a lot of those complexities being taken out. Now it's going to take time to do that, but they are also keep in mind, you're, you're right to a certain extent, they're working with some of the world's largest organizations and the world's largest networks. So there are certainly organizations that take advantage on the, you know, on that, that smaller end, the colleges, universities that have Meraki deployed, right? Simple cloud-based consumption-based models. Cisco is also moving to more, cons you know, consumption-based models, simpler licensing. So there's things that they are trying to do to get them to that. I think from the, the perspective of delivering something as a fully managed service or a network as a service, I think today you're seeing a lot of their partners delivering those and providing that, that layer of abstraction and delivering the upfront assessment and design and, and, and so forth. But yeah, there's certainly going to be innovative companies like Nile and others who are going to be pushing Cisco and driving them, you know, to compete and deliver uh, more, more, uh, I guess, operationally efficient and simpler systems for sure. And, and I'll add on to that, Anton, you know, if you look at the, the overall picture of Cisco overall, simplicity is the direction that they're going. Uh, and, you know, when you look at what they've announced for the different business units, openness, extensibility, scalability, flexibility is really the key message that they're driving home. Give me another example of how they're making the company a little bit more user-friendly, a little bit more simple. Um, changing, rebranding the name of ETNI, the Emerging Technology and Incubation Team, to Open. I'm sorry, to uh, Outshift. Outshift is the new brand. So there, and, and the conversation was, and we were speaking specifically around a service mesh. Take Istio and take uh, Callisti. Callisti allows you to do use Istio far faster and easier than using Istio by itself. So it's, it's about providing that user experience and making it easier and simpler to use. And, and I think Cisco is making those changes and they're reacting to the market dynamics. Yeah, and another great example to that is also the, like the thousand eyes and what they're doing there and expanding, going all the way down to the WebEx endpoints and so forth, right? So with so much of the talk today about the corporate network is the internet, being able to have visibility into that environment, but then all the way down to potentially a home office provides a lot of benefits to organizations as well. Mm -hmm. So, so in your opinion, Cisco uh, will be as can be as competitive in that mid market as a as some of these uh, other companies like uh, the startups like Nile. But of course, you also have Aruba, Arista. Yeah, there, there's. I'll tell you this, Anton. They're certainly going to try. There's. <laughs> they've been doing this for a long time. They've got a lot of customers, SMB all the way through enterprise, and right there, they still have over fifty percent of the market. So, like I said, I think it's great to see the innovative companies coming up, right? Driving that that unified networking approach, driving a lot of the the AI approaches and things like that, driving simplicity because it's just going to force you know Cisco to to drive and push back and and deliver their own innovative technology as well, and, and ultimately it's going to be the end consumer who benefits. Okay, right. So to, you, you bring up a good point. To a large extent, this is. Um... Uh, Cisco's market to lose, so to speak, since they, 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 they're such a dominant force within, uh, within networking and, uh, and security. Okay, next are interviews I conducted at Cisco Live with company executives uh, J.L. Valent, Vice President of Product Management for Multi-Cloud Networking, and Jeremy Foster, General Manager of Cisco's uh, Server Portfolio. Foster is also involved in helping customers with their sustainability efforts. Hi, I'm at Cisco Live. I'm here with uh, JL Valent, 
Uh, he is VP of Product Management uh, for Enterprise Routing, SD-WAN, and Multi-Cloud Networking uh, for Cisco. JL, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. All right. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, uh, first question I have, I think we're going to focus a lot on multi-cloud in this session. Uh, it seems multi-cloud is the norm, it seems, for large and mid-sized enterprises. Uh, lots of options are out there. Uh, start, uh, startups that offer connectivity uh, as a service, public clouds offering internet, uh, inter, uh, interconnectivity, uh, incumbent vendors like Cisco. So technically, how is Cisco uh, differentiating itself uh, in the market? So that's a great question. And yes, indeed, multi-cloud is uh, omnipresent, uh, pervasive throughout uh, you know, uh, this conference. But uh, last year and the year before, I think, obviously, uh, this is only growing. Uh, first, you mentioned enterprise and in, in, in mean market. In fact, uh, I, I can just uh, also witness that uh, we've seen it, it's across Every sing single business can be public sector, can be DOD, um, you know, in, in the U.S., but also anywhere in the world. Cloud is, uh, is pervasive. Cloud is everywhere. Uh, and, and that cloud can be, you know, so some have even what they call distributed hybrid cloud, which obviously say, hey, it's multi-cloud. It's multi-cloud, so multiple cloud providers, which I'm sure we will discuss. Uh, but it's also hybrid uh, in the context that not everything is running on a public cloud but also in um, private clouds or data centers that obviously behave as, uh, as cloud and now need to be stitched together as people. We're going through an evolution process uh, in, in, that, uh, you know, in that vein. So back to Cisco, uh, A, we realized obviously uh, you know, years ago uh, the criticality of helping our customers being able to harness uh, the possibilities and, and, and the, uh, the, the uh, capabilities that are available to them in the cloud, uh, in the clouds, um, and do that in a simpler way. So there's a lot of complexity. I'm sure we'll talk about that. So what we really try to bring is simplify the whole process of um, you know, defining and accessing to workloads or applications in the cloud. It can be SaaS. It can be obviously YAS. Um, you know, uh, applications uh, and do that in a very secure way. And coming with that, you certainly have heard about the full stack observability. Not only do you need actually to provision and define that, but you need to assure it. So the whole aspect of visibility, of monitoring um, is critical to be able to detect and respond to some of the threats, uh, outages, problems that you may encounter. Mm -hmm. And so we really take a holistic approach to cloud uh, throughout uh, Cisco. Okay, so when you, when you talk about simplicity or simplifying the, what's a, a very, very complex environment, uh, how, do you, um, how do you define sim simplicity? What does, what does that mean so our readers understand? What... It, yeah, that's, that's a very good question. So it means really first building, so it's all about architectures and building constructs abstractions that you know pretty much hide the complexity of the underpinning of stitching for example access to the cloud making it actually more normalized more consistent across cloud one of the key areas obviously for what i run and we talk, you know we mentioned enterprise writing and sd-wan is you know the first first step was hey how do i connect users or branches uh, to the cloud or to different clouds how do you do that when you have obviously 
different cloud networking, obviously the way the constructs work on Azure, different from AWS, different from Google GCP. So how do you create a level of abstraction and a level of automation that gives people the comfort through workflows, et cetera, to really be able actually to deploy uh, at scale uh, in a matter of really minutes or hours, not days, and actually keep it you know, fluid, flexible, because there's a lot of dynamicity on top of the cloud, even more so now. Those applications are, you know, spinning up, um, you know, this horizontal scale, and vertical scale, horizontal scale. So you're spinning up actually new components. You have DevOps trying to bring new uh, products to market or applications all the time. How actually NetOps keep up with all of those aspects is very mm -hmm. critical. And so you need that level of automation. You need a level of integration between the different parts. So when you talk uh, about needing an, an abstraction layer, what, what is Cisco's abstraction layer? So those abstractions are really related to, for example, the construct in the context of SD-WAN, uh, what we call cloud on-ramp, is really being able actually to, um, you know, to assemble all of the parts that would create automatically the, what we call the tunnels, the fabric, the, the overlay, and make it very simple so that uh, users to applications Applications were in data centers before, now they are in clouds. They might be now even distributed in the same cloud in different regions. You may have a database somewhere. You may have actually uh, the, uh, you know, the front-end application in a different place. How actually do you create a, a construct through actually um, you know, those, the tunnels, what we call the fabric, so you try to abstract that to a level of fabric and define policies that you can apply to say, hey, if those sites or those users want to access those applications, this is what the policy should be. They can, they cannot. Uh, they should be able to have, uh, you know, you can define SLAs in terms of what you expect in terms of uh, latency, and, you know, a jitter, packet loss, etc. to be able actually to have the system automatically with its own intelligence determine what is the best path to get mm -hmm. to that application, which can be obviously replicated in multiple zones, as you said, to maintain right. actually the reliability. We do that behind the scene. It means obviously there are a lot of techniques. DPI is one of the techniques, what we call OMP. So the, the, the control planes that we have, very sophisticated to be able to uh, you know, centralize the routing and define the routes and dynamically actually take into account mm -hmm. the policies, uh, the situations of maybe bottlenecks are happening at any given time in the network, et cetera. So there's a lot of complexity that we encapsulate, bottle up, and make that available as a simplified, pretty much, workflow and, and set of constructs to customers. Okay, so, so given the complexity of multi-cloud, do you, do you find that most of your customers are turning to managed service providers? Uh, if they want Cisco technology, they're depending on your partners, your managed your service providers, uh, help them deploy, use, yeah, I think so. Uh, again, there are managed, there are different breed, hmm. breeds of managed service providers. Okay. You, there, there are breeds of managed services that were born in the cloud. So they, they, those ones are, are new. They were built maybe 10 years ago and, and you know, or, or from the cloud 2008, 20 years ago, but uh, 15. Uh, the, the, the thing is, the more classic managed service providers, the connectivity managed service providers, what we call communication service providers, the, okay. the BTU, BS, etc. Yes, indeed, they are. They, they've evolved. They have capabilities uh, to be able actually to help those customers to the cloud. Most likely today, it is actually still a branch or site to cloud, and obviously more and more 
people work from anywhere. So how do you get also users to cloud from, uh, you know, in a hybrid work type of environment? But more and more, those applications themselves are distributed and the, it's data center to cloud, one cloud, a multi-cloud, et cetera. And you start seeing, you know, like AIML applications, the data reside in one cloud. Uh, the TensorFlow, for example, from Google reside obviously in a GCP environment. How do you bring those together in a very secure manner as well? Because the data that is underneath is very proprietary. And so being able actually to create, you know, that uh, those capabilities for, uh, for those customers require system integration and managed services so that, you know, uh, uh, clearly a number of customers don't have the people, don't have the skill set, or, or can keep up uh, with the, the avalanche and, and the, the tide of all applications, including SaaS applications that are combined with that at times, whatever it is, Salesforce, or ServiceNow, and SAP, etc. And so you have those composite applications more and more the large one, the very large, uh, you know, there are a number of customers that are large enough that said, hey, I can do that myself. Um, I manage my network, I manage the integration with the cloud, and that's fine. And, uh, and you have uh, a lot of, uh, obviously, those, uh, you know, enterprises, certainly the mid-market, but also mm -hmm. the large ones that went out in this business. That's not what we do. Uh, and yes, indeed, we rely upon one or multiple partners. Some actually divide even their manage services in, in regions and obviously stitch that together. So you got a bit of, uh, of everything and that's what makes also this market quite, uh, quite interesting. Sure, and, and it makes sense. I mean, given the complexity, the scarcity of talent, uh, I would think that enterprises uh, are becoming more dependent than ever before on their technology partners as well as service providers. Absolutely. JL, thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Hi, I'm here at uh, Cisco Live with uh, Jeremy Foster, uh, General Manager of Cisco Networking uh, Compute. Jeremy, nice to see you. Thanks. Nice to be here. Okay, so um, I wanted to start off our, our conversation on uh, hybrid cloud. Uh, it seems that the hybrid cloud is evolving where it's becoming possibly less about the data center and more about the edge. That's where, where companies are saying are deciding that the data it'd be easier to start fresh at the edge rather than take legacy technology and somehow adapt it to the cloud. So uh, what are you seeing and what's your observation? Yeah, so spend a lot of time with customers. And I think you know over the last six months and even at the show, a lot of talk about you know hybrid cloud and, and customers settling into the fact that it's not gonna be everything in one public cloud where you run all your infrastructure. To your point, you have a lot of data centers that are out there where you've already made tremendous investments as a business. And then you have this emerging edge. And edge is this huge spectrum of things, right? That have all different kinds of use case, whether that's a retail edge or whether that's an enterprise edge where you wanna try and do things, you know, uh, along new use cases like inference at the edge where you wanna get the, the as close to where the data is being generated as possible with the technology. And those are almost like taking a mini data center and building it out in lots of locations. And so in a, the theme from customers is coming back is, yes, we want to live in this hybrid mode, but that generates a ton of complexity because now I have to figure out how to maintain my assets on-prem, do the things that I want to with my applications and, and new applications oftentimes that are developed in the cloud. Um, and then obviously go after these new use cases that my business wants to do. So it's 
it's uh, quite a bit of things for them to deal with. And that's really what we're focused on is trying to help simplify that experience and help them operate in a uniform manner across all those different areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, in terms of sustainability is something I wanted to ask you about because it, it seems to be top of mind of, on everyone, uh, the tech vendors as well as, as, well as their customers. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you talk sustainability in the data center, you're, you're adding complexity to an already very complex environment. So uh, how is Cisco address, uh, helping customers address that problem? I, I think it is top of mind and it's good because it's good for the world, but it's also good for business in terms of helping customers be focused on how can they optimize further those environments and, and go after replacing those legacy environments with newer technology and the newer technology really helps drive a lot of the power. And that's how one way that we can help, right? We can build the best, most sustainable infrastructure uh, in the industry. Certainly from a compute perspective, that's not anything new for us. We've been doing that since 2009. Mm -hmm. um, and if you take a typical customer scenario, like one of the large financials that we were working with, you know, they have 500 servers in one area of their data center. Those processors were a couple generations old. And we replaced that with UCSX and it's 134 servers instead of 500. So it drives out not only 31% of the power, it drives out 39% uh, of the maintenance costs, it drives out 66 roughly percent of the actual physical space that it was taking up, right? So there's a lot of business benefits to going after sustainability. And I think the other area customers are struggling that we're trying to help out with is the data. We've tracked the data inside of a data center since forever ago, right? We've had power strips that could report back to the facilities people how much power are we using in a particular area or zone of the data center. But a lot of that is data that is typically with those operational teams and maybe not with the line of business folks that are now trying to get an assessment of how are we doing towards reaching those ESG goals. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to leverage things like Intersight where we uh, are collecting data across that server estate and tracking it over time so customers can understand how much power am I using three months ago? How am I doing towards reaching those ESG goals? And then ultimately overlaying that with where is this power coming from? You know, is it coming from solar? Is it coming from uh, wind? Is it coming from coal? And then helping them understand what that environmental impact is as they reduce the, the, the power that they're using. All right. Uh, I believe uh, Cisco, uh, one of the announcements made at Cisco Live was the addition of uh, sustainability metrics within their Nexus yes. uh, fabric. Yes, management fabric. That was interesting. Uh, so is sustainability when it comes to servers, is it always an upgrade process? Do customers have to always buy new servers or? No, that's a great question. And one other angle uh, to sustainability is how are you doing the most with what you've got? And yeah. so there's all different kinds of features that we've put into our solutions, whether it's dynamic power capping, multiple power zones of how we lay out say, our UCSX chassis that are effectively settings you change in software to change how the power bus is working so that you can look at the needs of those servers based on what the application is, is asking those servers to do and, and use less power. In other words, change how redundant your requirements might be. The more redundancy you push out there, the more power you're going to need, but you can actually optimize those types of things. So we're trying to make those very easy to expose those capabilities for customers mm -hmm. and use those. I would say in addition to that, there's a lot of new features and capabilities around optimizations from say uh, Intel, AMD, that we can put into our software platform to let them leverage those features really easily and at scale, because that's the, that's the trick, right? You need to be able to see how are those applications behaving and how are those servers behaving, and then say, great, 
these are great candidates, for example, to use those database optimizations that Intel just released, which will then help re increase performance and reduce the amount of power that they need to consume. And cooling is, is, a, big, is, a, is a big problem with, uh, uh, with servers. Mm -hmm. uh, what is, um, you know, it's also a huge expense. So what are the, um, uh, the, the solutions for, for, for cooling? What, what, it's, what do you, um, how are you addressing that yeah. problem? Cooling, it, it's, that's a real complex one in that the first thing we can do is optimize our systems to, to deal with and cool only the areas, say, within like our UCSX chassis, for example. It's this big, but if there's a lot of power demands in a certain area where a certain process or on a certain server is going, mm -hmm. and we have over 20 cooling zones that we've engineered in there with, I can't even remember how many temperature sensors, but we were able to actually dynamically change where the fans and how much they're driving, so we use the least amount of power possible to actually change that in real time without the customer having to do anything. So you can really optimize those power states there uh, or cooling states there. Uh, when you get to looking into the future and say, how are we gonna leverage things like liquid cooling? There's a lot of impacts to how that, that touches a customer, right? You can, you can put liquid cooling in things like closed loop liquid cooling that we'll start building into some of our servers when we, when we need to. Like right now we don't need to. Um, but we will as these new generations of processors consume even more power. Mm -hmm. And that's an easy one for customers to buy because it just sits inside of the server. And then, you know, as you get further down the line, looking at how do we do liquid cooling uh, across the data center uh, is, is something I think a lot of customers are trying to figure out because it's operationally very different than what we've done in the data center. It requires a lot of physical changes to uh, how, they, how they've actually plumbed their data center to get water to the individual backs of the racks. And uh, I think that's a challenge we'll be tackling over the next five years. Okay. I would change topic for a second. I wanted to ask you about uh, get your, your take on digital processing units, DPUs, because that's being introduced into servers to offload from the uh, work from the CPU. Uh, do you see that as something that could dramatically uh, change the architecture of uh, data centers or, or not? I think over time it will. And the, the thing about DPUs is, it's and, and our enterprise customer base, is there's different people in different markets, right? DPUs have already dramatically changed how data centers are designed in CSPs, cloud scalers, and high-end service providers that understand how to take those technologies and have specific enough needs at large enough scales to use them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not something today that your average enterprise account, say your healthcare organization that has a really great, awesome data center, has had to go pull off the shelf and start using those technologies. So I think as we make those technologies more easy to consume, mm -hmm. people will use those technologies more readily and say the enterprise at, at scale. And that'll be, a, you know, kind of changes that we see over the next three to five years. Right now, anyone is, is primarily a cloud technology, someone a lot or a larger enterprise? Large. Large scale type applications, applications. Of people who have large data centers because it's just for the same reasons you were talking about. You know, how do we increase sustainability, increase performance? Right. DPUs are a different way of doing processing that can help increase the performance and take uh, take all that workload off the CPU so you get to do more with less. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the, the management tools have to be there also. Mm -hmm. they, they, they'll have to change. That's right. Uh, okay, so the, you know, the cloud in the data center. Uh, how has... Um, you know, data centers are shrinking because more workloads are going to the cloud. Uh, how else are, is the data center changing uh, architecturally because of the, the, because of the cloud? Yeah, I think a couple of things. You look at the spend in the industry over the last few years. Yeah. Clearly, explosive cloud growth. 
right. but on-prem revenue spending is, is flat. I mean, it's not it's not this binary thing where everybody said spend as much money in cloud, then all that money in the data center instantly goes away. It's you know, we all consume more applications, we all generate more data, we all do all that stuff in our daily lives more than than we did five years ago. Mm-hmm. And so there's also the fact that people run their business a lot of times based on what's in their data center already. And then it's not super easy to, or sometimes cost effective to lift and shift all those applications to the cloud. And that's really why customers are settling in on this hybrid cloud mode, because uh, much like we do in IT, I think what we've seen over the last few years is people wanted to really aggressively go towards cloud because it's a great new tool. It's extremely operationally efficient. I can move very fast and it sounds like, you know, um, it offloads a lot of that operational burden on, on a customer to make all those things happen underneath the deployment of applications. But then the, the reality is, in some cases, it's it's not free. There is no free. There's no free workload. There is no free lunch, if you will. So then customers are now saying, like every other IT problem we try and solve, how do we optimize around this? Well, I got to look, and I've got these assets on prem. I can run some things on prem. In fact, if customers at decent scale, maybe I can do that application on prem, or I don't need to move that application because my cost profile will be better here. Um, every application is different, uh, and so that's that's you know, kind of a customer by customer basis. But what we see is. We see people balancing that out and really trying to figure out where am I spending and where can I get the most for my dollars that I'm spending, be it in the cloud or be it on-prem. Yeah, it's all about defining the problem and then, and then solving it. Yeah. You know. Jeremy, thank you very much. I really thank you. appreciate your time, sir. Likewise. That wraps up this week's show. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next week.